Hello out there, I'm Will. And I'm Whitney. And you're listening to Yelling About Superheroes. This is episode six, Wonder Woman. We'll discuss the various iterations of Diana Prince's origin story, and there are many, as well as Greek mythology and history and philosophy and so much else besides. Also, I'd like to add a brief content warning for this episode. Around 7 minutes and 30 seconds or so, we briefly discuss rape. Um, That discussion wraps up fully by 10 minutes in. Hey folks, welcome back to Yelling About Superheroes. I'm Whitney. And I'm Will. And And today we're going to yell about Wonder Woman, basically. That's right. We've been uh, a little bit Marvel-heavy so far. Yeah, so it's it's time to like switch franchises a little bit. And we've got more than just the big two on our planned like episode docket, but for now we're just going to basically yell about Wonder Woman because she's amazing and I personally like adore her. If you haven't heard about if you haven't heard of Wonder Woman, A What well, is wrong with you? Be nice. <laughs> uh, but you know, she's only the most famous female superhero mm-hmm. um, ever. Yeah, one of only three superheroes besides uh, Superman and Batman to actually survive um, the peacetime era. Like most superheroes did not continue publication after World War II because there was just not a lot of audience demand for it. And admittedly, uh, Wonder Woman changed a lot in peacetime because she was in the hands of uh, rather misogynist writers who didn't appreciate her for her awesomeness. But she still is one of the longest continually continuously published superheroes. Yep, she's kind of one of DC's trinity if you count Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Yeah, definitely. Although they, although they seem to give Superman and Batman a lot more spotlight. Although with the movie being more successful than anything else they've put out, that might change. Maybe. I mean, this is DC we're talking about. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, clearly they don't just make terrible decisions. They did hire Patty Jenkins. Yeah, so... Yeah, the best place to start is probably her origin story. um, Because that that alone has varied so much. She hails from the island of Themyscira, (laughs) home of the Amazons. It's... Heavily rooted in Greek mythology. Yes. Although yes. it although the various interpretations also take various liberties and or reinterpret different mm-hmm. parts of the story. Yeah, definitely. And Themyscira is very. It's also known very commonly as Paradise Island. Uh, it's completely isolated as the general rule from the uh, rest of the world, and there are no men around. It is literally like an all female sapphic paradise dare i say and they got kangaroos yeah that's wait which which story was that from was that there was a king of the of the stuff that we actually read for this episode which was actually a a lot we did a lot of background reading yeah there was a kangaroo in the uh deliz oh yeah renee deliz yeah the legend of wonder the legend of wonder woman yeah oh my god which is so good yeah you guys need to read it if you haven't it's so amazing yeah Um, it's a relative about that more in a bit it's a relatively recent retelling of her origin story yeah did it come Um, out around the same time as rebirth i don't know yeah whatever but look that up later yeah the kangaroo thing is actually not created by that book Themyscira has an established history of having kangaroos on it. Wait, seriously? I think it's mostly a Silver Age thing. Huh. But, yes. And Silver Age, that would have been... Yeah, 60s, 70s. So that would have been when she had been, like, stripped of her powers and turned into, like, a romance advice columnist, right? That would have been roughly that era? I don't actually know when the kangaroos came from it. It just sounds like a Silver Age thing. That's fair. that's That's also something we can, like, look up later. So enough about kangaroos. (laughs) So as far as Wonder Woman's origin goes, there's a couple of interesting variations 
several, I would say. Um, because, well, like, as with every superhero, her origin story has been, I mean, not even, I don't even want to say done to death because there are still so many really interesting recent reinterpretations of her origin story. Uh, the ones I can think of off the top of my head are, um, well, obviously the movie from last year um, is definitely an origin story. Um, there's also Greg Rucka's um, Rebirth, because um, he wrote Wonder Woman for DC's Rebirth um, event thing. Do, do we want to call it an event? Is that the it's parlance? not... I don't think it qualifies as an event. It's more just like a... A reboot, almost? It is a reboot, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's that. And then there's something we mentioned earlier, uh, Renee DeLiz's uh, The Legend of Wonder Woman. Um, so those are three really recent and honestly, in their own ways, really phenomenal takes on our origin story. Like they all have a lot of really, really good things about them. So but, yeah, but more generally, there's kind of two main variations on her origin. Mm -hmm. She's always considered like the daughter of Hippolyta, who is queen of the Amazons. Mm -hmm. And... Originally, she was just sculpted from clay as like a clay doll or statue or something. Golem. I have a lot of feelings about how um, Judaism influenced early comics. But anyway, yeah, sculpted from clay. And um, in the original stories really written by William Moulton Marston um, under the pen name of Charles Moulton, um, Hippolyta was sort of helped in her endeavor to create a clay child by Athena and Aphrodite, interestingly enough. Um, if mm -hmm. you saw the movie, you might remember that um, Hippolyta says she begged Zeus to give her clay child life. So it's basically Zeus is the father, as he is in most of Greek mythology, let's be real. I mean, the movie actually sets up the like sculpted from clay origin, but it reveals that the truth of the matter is actually the other variation of the origin story. I wouldn't say it necessarily reveals that. I, th I think... I thought that was established uh, pretty solidly at some point, but... I, st I think it was... Yeah, basically, um, if you remember, then Ares has that one line where he's like, um, Zeus left the child he had with Hippolyta as a weapon, whatever. I don't think that necessarily blows up the whole sculpted from clay version of the origin story. I don't think that necessarily invalidates it. Mm, I guess, I guess. But it is also sort of a reference to the other version of yeah, the Yeah, you can definitely where... construe it that way. Yeah, there are a couple, uh, let's say, decidedly less feminist takes on her origin story. Um, Just where she was fathered by Zeus in the more traditional sense. Yeah, definitely. Less, um, less immaculate clayception, more um, the rest of Greek mythology again. So, yeah, and... Um, I wish I had taken more notes on... How could you have possibly taken more notes? <laughs> I feel like we should talk about the Azarello storyline and Perez as well. So yeah, no, there are a few, um, yeah, decidedly less feminist uh, takes on her origin story. There, um, I think Brian Azarello's take in particular got, I think, fairly widely panned because it um, sort of tried to retcon the whole um, Born From Clay storyline as being a total lie just period. Um, and also Zeus was Diana's father. And also uh, there was definitely some like, as you know, seems to be a pattern with Zeus in Greek mythology. Again, there was definitely some like non-consensual whatever about it. Like it was pretty, it was honestly pretty rapey and not super, super good. Greek gods are dicks. They really are, honestly. Um, that is one thing I do think uh, Rucka's run on other Wonder Woman comics does get right, but we can talk about those later. So yeah, no, there's that. And um, 
I think even later um, in that same Azarello storyline, Zeus actually does try to rape Diana, which is really nasty. It's so nasty. Like, no wonder the storyline got so panned. And thank you, Greg Rucka, for like barf. not. Yeah, exactly. Barf. It's. Uh. Yeah, so there's that. And even like, okay, so full disclosure, I haven't exact, I haven't actually read George Perez's Wonder Woman, but I have read about it. And like basically part of this um, really is not super feminist take on uh, Wonder Woman's origin story involves um, the girdle of Hippolyta um, being stolen by Heracles, who um, like there are, you know, implications with the capital I to go along with that implications of, you know, sexual assault. But um, apparently in Perez's um, version of it, there is a rather protracted scene where Hippolyta, I think if memory serves, she wakes up and discovers her girl, girl has been stolen and Heracles is right there and he's like, yeah, 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 and sort of like gloats about it almost. And just reading that, reading that described in an academic paper, I wasn't even like reading the actual thing itself, but it still felt kind of exploitative. I won't lie. Like after seeing, and I don't, you haven't seen this guy. After seeing um, Mad Max Fury Road, like you haven't seen that, correct? No. Yeah. After that movie, I just have almost no patience for storylines about that involve sexual assault and feel the need to show it as much as that. Because the thing about Mad Max Fury Road was that it like pretty clearly showed the effects on the wives, the, the victims of Immortan Joe and his horribleness um, without actually showing them being violated. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I should read Perez's work to judge for myself, but just from what I've read about it, it doesn't necessarily feel as like super amazingly feminist as I had heard it was. But thankfully there are much more feminist alternatives out there. Um, you know, after reading uh, Renee Deliz's uh, Wonder Woman, I still like the movie a lot, don't get me wrong. But the really great thing about um, Renee Deliz and her take on Wonder Woman is that um, we mentioned that Zeus is the one to bring um, Diana to life in the movie. But in that book, she's brought to life not by Zeus, but by Gaia. Literally, like the mother of gods, like the uh, one of the titans, even mightier than the Greek gods themselves. Which is like super cool from like a mythology perspective, but also like basically that means Hippolyta yep. and Gaia are like Diana has two moms. It's like a lesbian immaculate conception. It's my favorite thing on this earth. And I'm just like, damn it, I wish the movie could have gone there. I really wish. Yep. Yeah, it was great. I was like screaming internally when I read that. I, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the uh, Wonder Woman origin story, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like we've just focused more so far on her actual, like, birth. But there's a lot more to her traditional origin story than that. There's the whole, like, thing about her leaving Themyscira to fight for, like, justice in the outside world or whatever. And that that um, particular aspect of it takes a variety of forms. Um, yeah. Wonder Woman's whole background is... A lot less, I think, set in stone than, say, Superman's or Batman's. Because, like, any old idiot, even if you don't read comics, could 
recite exactly what happened with those two. Whereas Wonder Woman's has a fair bit of reinterpretation and seems like it's a little less nailed down solidly yeah, than some I of wa- the others. I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that the most important parts of Superman and, and Batman's backstories are both like, you know, what you might consider inciting incidents in a story. Like Superman lands on Earth, Batman sees his parents murder. Those are like the most important things that shape them and they're very much like almost singular incidents, whereas... Wonder Woman's whole upbringing and the the moral system, the values of Themyscira, they really influence her entire like outlook on the world. And that's, I feel like that's more subtle and harder for writers to really, you know, it's harder for people to really like hit the nail on the head with that. So, which might explain why um, her characterization has been more inconsistent throughout the years. Like I mentioned in like, I believe the sixties and seventies, or in, into the very early 70s, I think, because she was actually on the cover of a, the inaugural issue of Ms. Magazine in, I believe, 1972, and that was sort of the beginning of her image rehabilitation. But before that, <laughs> she'd been like a boutique worker and an advice columnist and basically entirely depowered and wanting desperately to marry Steve Trevor and all that. And she was very much turned into something completely antithetical to um, Willie Moulton Marston's original vision for her, which is in part due to um, Robert Kaniger, for sure, who took over after William Moulton Marson died. Um, to- total misogynist. And there was there was one other person who I think could really share the blame for her particular direction in the Silver Age, but yeah. And I think we've seen pretty consistently across the movie and everything else that we've read that what eventually leads Wonder Woman to leave Themyscira and in some cases, she's already kind of eager to leave. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, she's definitely. more curious than most of the Amazons and often something of an outsider among them for one reason or another. Yeah, and in the movie, that's because she is very much a child. And Rekka addresses this as well in Rebirth. Like, they've yeah. seen her grow up. She is the only one of the among the Amazons to not have been created with them. Yeah, the exactly. Day Liz run is inter- the Day Liz story is interesting because that is the only, is, that's the only one I've seen where she actually has... Themyscira actually has other children being born and growing up distinctly God, from you're right. Wonder I Woman. I hadn't put that together before, but yeah, no. And another interesting thing about that particular like incarnation of Themyscira is that um, immortality is actually awarded in something of a lottery system almost, which is not anything I'd seen before. Although, okay, I suppose technically in the movie, it's not immortality per se, but just like near invulnerability. Like Amazons are stronger than the average, like person but they're and not they, ultimately immortal i mean and they don't really age as far as it seems yes yeah there's a difference between agelessness and immortality but the general idea is that she is in many cases more eager to leave and more on the combative side than most on the mascara i think a princess should be yeah and, and that's something like deliz really plays up is um diana being the heir apparent to like the throne of Themyscira, like she really plays that up because Hippolyta is the queen and that's really interesting, I think. Yeah, so she's more eager to leave Themyscira in some cases because she senses danger, in some cases just because she's curious about the outside world. Mm -hmm. And what eventually spurs that on is an Air Force pilot crashing 
into Themyscira. Mm-hmm. Despite the protective boundaries surrounding the world. Yep. The first man and the first outsider to reach Themyscira in however many centuries we're talking about here. Yeah, probably near the order of millennia almost, I would think. Yep. And someone that Wonder Woman rescues and protects and also learns about the outside world from mm-hmm. and eventually accompanies outside um, of Themyscira for various reasons to try, but in most cases, to try to help stop whatever conflict is going on. Yeah, and the events surrounding her departure from Themyscira, they kind of differ from story to story, too. Um, I'm thinking specifically of um, the tournament is a pretty standard fixture in most um, stories that I can think of, like Deliz has it, Rucka's Rebirth has it. Um, I think it was even in the original like Marston stories as well. Like this tournament to determine the worthiest of the Amazons in like some form of like combat or whatever. I think multiple forms of combat. But like the point is where I'm going with this is that there's a sort of general consensus in each of these cases that something, you know, must be done about this. Somebody has to go and Diana is I think traditionally like barred from entering the tournament but disguises herself to enter anyway and wins the tournament she has to like fight to prove herself worthy that way which Neil Curtis um, a scholar I believe at the University of Auckland in New Zealand has actually pointed out that um, while let's say Superman decides to become a hero and that's that Diana actually fights to become a hero and that's that's a really salient point of her backstory I think that and, is interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hadn't thought of it that way before. And all of this, this whole like tournament thing, is a huge contrast actually when you think about it with how it's presented in the movie. Because in the movie, Hippolyta, like hardcore, does not want to intervene in you know man's world or whatever. Um, but Diana feels compelled to stop the war and stop Ares, whom she figures is involved in it. Yeah, and I would say that particular framing of things, I think it's, I, I I have yet to decide how I feel about that pretty, I think, crucial portion of her backstory changing, but I think it's meant to underscore or like really, I guess, lay the foundation in particular in this movie for Diana's characterization as somebody who will do the right thing even or especially when no one else will, which is honestly, I think, really foundational to her character and really gets at the essence. So I think ultimately like this, that particular like modification to her backstory, it doesn't turn out badly, I don't think. And also it really, there's, I think, I really think there's a lot of, again, going back to the whole like Judaism influence thing, I see a lot of this principle called uh, Tikkun Olam, and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but it's the principle of repairing the world that's really, really integral to Judaism, as I understand it, like the duty to help fix what's been broken no matter what. I really see that um, in her in her character, especially like in the movie with the other Amazon sort of like set in opposition to her like that. So that's, that's a really mm. interesting thread. And especially with her kind of being a golem by implication, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And Wonder Woman is interesting because in, we're talking about her kind of philosophy and motivations and like attitudes and personality almost because she's shown pretty frequently to have a sort of a different mindset and a different approach 
to superhero stuff than yeah, I would agree. other heroes, like especially considering that most of these other heroes are men. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And are interestingly now that I think about it, like the other heroes she's usually compared with are both men and are also raised in a modern society, as opposed to being raised in some isolated enclave of like mythological mm-hmm. figures. Like Wonder Woman is very much an outsider oh, to a man's yeah. world, but most of the characters she's compared with among like, you know, the rest of the Justice League or are whatever, like kind of emblematic of man's world in a sense. Emblematic of and just native to it. You know, yeah, they yeah. understand the laws and like philosophies and stuff because they grew up with them. And Diana learns them all, of course, but she grew up thinking of things differently and doesn't always approach those laws and those traditions in the same way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, a really interesting... I don't even know if it qualifies as a subplot. It's pretty important. And um, Greg Greco's run on Wonder Woman, which is, I should note, is different from Rebirth. This is a different storyline. Yeah, Greco's first run on Wonder Woman, which started with a story called Hikitea, I think Hikitea, it was. Hikitea, yeah. Yeah, that would be a good one to talk about at this juncture because... My God, never have I seen so starkly Wonder Woman operating with a completely different moral system to the other heroes in the DC universe. And okay, what I was going to mention in this context is that like later in Rucka's run, Diana actually writes a book explaining her like like the philosophy she grew up with that she subscribes to all these all this like Greek Themyscira and stuff. Oh yeah, and the book actually yeah. becomes a point of contention. But you're right, the um, Hictea story is actually a more, like, stark example of that. The Hictea one is a little bit weird to me just because it's based on some, I assume, fictionalized piece of Greek mythology or tradition. I feel like that'd be interesting to look up, actually. Yeah. Is Hictea real? I don't know if it's something that existed historically and or in myth. I'm gonna look it up. Um, but it seems something that's, like, it's something that's more external to uh, what Wonder Woman thinks rather than the uh, a particular part of her philosophy. Because it's this weird set of, it's basically this system almost of, like, vows and enforce, and, like, promises and enforcement thereof. Uh, which are, which is enforced by like a trio of murderous female monster things. Okay, and I did look up um, Hikitea, and it does seem to be fictional, uh, like invented for the purpose of this. I I can't really tell. Like all the search results I'm seeing are about this particular one. Yeah, so Hikitea is definitely an example where the traditionalist, well, not traditional, I want to say, but where Wonder Woman comes into conflict with other characters. Like direct conflict with Batman. Batman is specifically going after the young woman that um, Wonder Woman has sworn to protect because of um, Hikitea. Because this, this girl has killed like four men and Wonder Woman is actually bound because of this ritual to defend this woman at, this, this woman at all costs. So... Like, Batman is obviously so determined to bring her to justice because that's the, like, moral system under which he's operating and has operated for, like, ever. And that's so incompatible with Wonder Woman's system. Um, Although Wonder Woman's system in this case isn't really Wonder Woman's system. It's just this, I don't know, weird thing enforced by these 
monster creatures that would kill her if she from, wakes from it. Greek mythology, admittedly. So it was very much, I think, part of the culture that she would have grown up with. Yeah, but I do think that the thing you were originally going for, where she publishes that book and is confronted with various issues because of it, is a little more relevant here because it's specifically about Wonder Woman's own philosophy and approach to life and her superhero stuff and how that sometimes conflicts with the modern world, especially where it comes to like more traditionalist patriarchal beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're emerges in this storyline a decency organization i don't remember what it's called in this particular storyline but a group it's of... like protect our children yes or that's it that's it protect our children it's this organization um emerges to sort of censure wonder woman and paint her as like you know immoral or whatever but the thing is this isn't the first time that decency organizations have come up as villains in um Actually, in comics in general, like in episode one, we talked briefly about the Committee to Restore America's Principles, which tried to take down Captain America. Yeah. And Will took way too long to figure out what that stood for. Um, but even in the original, like, Marston comics, there were a couple um, There were a couple such organizations. And importantly, they popped up in real life, too. There was, like, I don't remember the names of them, and it would take me a while to find them as giant notes doc. But I think a lot of this opposition in real life to the original Wonder Woman comics came from, like, Catholic organizations. I could but there were real-life leagues uniting against, you know, decadent comic books or whatever. And then, like, again, there's, there's another obvious example of this sort of thing happening, and that's um, Frederick Wortham um, writing Seduction of the Innocent and making, sort of forcing yep. the comics industry to enact the comics code or whatever. That, that was very much a form of morality policing, specifically, interestingly focused on um, overtones of homosexuality. Cough, 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 cough. Yes, definitely. But, Mostly, but he also like totally thought Wonder Woman was a giant lesbian, which Greg Rucka, I believe, was one of to actually make her canonically bisexual a couple of years ago. So like, up yours, Wortham. Although I should say, interestingly, Wortham was actually also really concerned with racism in early comic books, which is so at odds, it feels like, from like his weird gay panic thing. He was actually legitimately concerned about racism. He did a lot of good work in desegregation. And he, had then a, he, like, he yeah. did have a point there because those early wartime comics oh God, were yeah. often pretty racist. Yeah, they really but were. Moving on from that, yeah, yeah, like Wonder Woman's like both in real life and in her stories is kind of the obvious target for these traditional conservative like family values type groups. Yeah, because, I, I think like, partly because she's female. Definitely because she's female. She's a woman in a position of authority. Oh, yeah who sort of openly espouses completely different moral systems from like what the rest of western civilization is used to yeah she's not going to be um you know subservient to mm -hmm. anyone she's not going to uphold like the traditional conservative values and unlike a character like superman who you know might not agree with those values he's but isn't really a simple against them at least not yeah, by the he's nature still of that corn-fed kansas boy yeah whereas wonder woman is more alien to modern society and yeah she's more like obviously symbolically a threat and she has like them. you know and some of it's in ways where she's like more in tune with nature like in the rock yeah. and run she talks to animals a few times yeah and 
Yeah, there's this really cute panel in Rebirth of her, like, crouching on the ground and sticking her tongue out at a frog. It's really adorable. It's wonderful. But it's the, so good. But there's also a scene where she is working with the Flash, and there's this wildfire, yeah. and she tells him, like, we have to just let it burn because it's part of the natural life cycle of the forest, rather than, yeah, like, like, just stopping it there before it threatens any homes. And, of course, you would say, like, you know, if people were endangered by the fire, she would take action, but if nobody is, then they should just let it go because like that would be the best thing for like mankind and nature and stuff yeah and obviously that gets like heavily edited by uh protect our children or whatever and they try to characterize her as saying like oh death is good or whatever um and it actually just like does not work for them because uh one of her um in this in the ruckus storyline she's the ambassador um from Themyscira and one of her embassy employees like goes on tv and debates the head of protect our children and like crushes the guy yeah I was which is pretty great honestly yeah I was honestly expecting that to just go a lot worse for her yes me too me too you know I was expecting it to be like a whole oh no the entire world's against Wonder Woman thing but no, it really is shown to be like, that's just a vocal minority and people do like her. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the really interesting thing to me is that the, the fact that these decency organizations pop up as villains so consistently, what it says to me about her particular sort of ethos in a sense is that she not not only will she not compromise her own moral code for pretty much any reason whatsoever but she also will sort of fight against attempts by other people to like shove their moral code on others but specifically when it diminishes people's freedoms or their 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 personhood like it's i don't hmm. think cuz i'm thinking in particular of um this is something Complete, this is from one of the animated, like, I guess, Justice League series or whatever, this moment that I'm thinking of. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I sent him a link to the screen caps from this. But basically, Wonder Woman sees that a bunch of people are, like, hanging an effigy of her and, like, protesting her. And she has a really heartbroken look on her face when she realizes it. And it's horrible. Broke my heart. But the, the leader of the group says something like, you swing that sword with a smile and you're scary and sorry for the gender slur here and he but he literally says you dress like a whore but her response to that is really interesting she she doesn't go well like you know screw you up yours morality police or whatever she what she does is she sort of lasso she lassos the guy with you know the lasso of truth and gets him to admit that he actually cross-dresses as Wonder Woman because it makes him feel powerful. <laughs> Admittedly, okay, now that I think about it, that's kind of almost outing him in a sense, which is kind of dangerous, but also, like, she's Wonder Woman and nobody's gonna mess with her, really. Yeah. But I don't she, think she necessarily knew the situation. I think she just true. was... It wasn't a malicious outing, though. She did sense that that wasn't the whole story. You're right, you're right. What always strikes me about that scene is there is absolutely no judgment from her. No reciprocal censure from her. She is just still absolutely respecting his personal choices, his right to cross-dress as her. She she doesn't disrespect that just because he was leading an effort to protest against her. You're missing the, you're missing the best part is the line that she has where she's just, she just says... The outfit makes me feel, feel powerful too. Yeah, that's really great. I really love that. But I, again, I was just stuck on like the total lack of judgment and just total compassion for this guy that she exhibits in that moment. That's that's what really sticks with me about that. 
Yeah, and now I'm thinking of the... There's, like, a few different times where she does things like this, but especially from the end of the Rebirth run that Rucka did that we were reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she confronts, what, Phobos and Deimos, the twin sons of Mars. Mm -hmm. She, like, uses the lasso. Um, She first wraps herself up with it when she's confronting them and tells them, like... I don't remember the whole conversation, but she's like, I love you, I forgive you, something, something. I see what you've done, I accept you for who you are, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's she's, the absolute truth. Yeah, because she's got the lasso on, she yeah. couldn't lie about it if she no, wanted to. No, You know, she just demonstrates that overt compassion for them, but she doesn't fight physically at all. She just you does that, and she uses the lasso on them as well, just, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, sort of it's literally that. Them. It's that compassion that enables her to defeat and bind them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's, I hadn't made that connection. Yeah, and that was really interesting to me because it's a completely non-physical, compassionate, and heartfelt way of stopping these bad guys. And it's something that, certainly it's not something a character like Batman would ever do. A character like Superman would probably do that with the right people. Yeah. But I don't know if, um, I don't think anyone else could really do it in the same way that she did. Yeah. And the other interesting thing to me about that particular storyline is that Ares is actually kind of powerless He's... in it. I'm not quite sure how precisely that came about. That was interesting, yeah, because in that particular bit, Ares, who is a long-recurring villain for Wonder Woman... Oh yeah, is actually revealed is actually revealed to not be a villain at all in that case, but at least not at the time. He's powerless and trapped in some weird like underworld thing. Yeah, some sort of like tree prison almost. Yeah, and his sons who again um, Phobos and Deimos. Yeah, who were actually posing as him in that initial fight in the Rebirth origin story um, are the two who are going around making chaos his name which was an interesting like reinterpretation of mars who is usually like just a jerk and seeking out war and stuff yeah you know it's not even like the first time that raka has done something slightly different with aries either in his regular run aries is not exactly this you know like mega archvillain or whatever he's just one of a large pantheon of gods who are doing their own you know like scheming and yeah. tricking and stuff like that he's almost he almost strikes me as more of a loki figure yeah i mean in the sense that like he's kind of sly and smooth um yeah he's definitely but po- not he's, ultimately like you know domination minded or whatever yeah. not necessarily not he's definitely time. taking a few pages out of loki's book in that particular story yeah. and there's an there's just an interesting thing going on with that story in particular where all the gods are like causing problems for humans in various ways just because they're they're going up yeah they're going about their own like internal petty struggles which is very accurate to greek mythology absolutely and they have zero empathy or concern for the humans who might get uh some of of them don't and like how that particular part of the storyline resolves itself is that all the all the like goddesses if i'm remembering correctly like tentatively with Ares as an ally like sort of halfway an ally 
they actually overthrow Zeus and Athena takes his place as like you know the head of the Greek gods or yep. whatever. Yeah, and it's, Athena it's... takes over and she's less of a dick than Zeus, but I feel like she's still not particularly concerned with humanity's well-being in general. I mean, she she pretty she likes Diana. That's pretty obvious. Like. She definitely does, but it seems yeah. almost more in the way that somebody would like a particularly helpful dog than they'd like a person, you know? <laughs> okay, that's fair. But, like, I, I still think the way that that story is framed is it's, like, the women are better suited to rule than, like, the old men because they're more, like... They're definitely better suited to rule than they, the old men they because know the old their men are stuff all jerks. Better. Yeah, exactly. And the women are, like, marginally less jerks at the very least. So that's all interesting. And you know what? what the, I, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. We got a little bit sidetracked um, on that point. I wanted to circle back a little bit to Wonder Woman's philosophy because there's another point I wanted to yeah, go ahead. kind of go on there about because this is especially interesting as her role in DC's like main trinity of heroes between Superman and Batman is that Wonder Woman is the only one of those three who, I'm not going to say doesn't have any compunction, but she is the only one of the three who is willing to kill in order to protect That is, yes, you're right. That is really interesting. Because Batman in particular has like a very much, I'll never kill anyone even if it would save lots of people's lives. Yeah, which bugs me so much about that guy. Yeah, and Superman doesn't either because he's Superman and that's just what Superman do. Yeah, but Superman definitely comes from a place of more compassion, I think, whereas Batman... I, I, admittedly, I don't know as much about Batman as I probably should if I want to actually make this assertion and have it stick. But I feel like with Batman, it comes from a place of wanting to be you know holier than thou. I feel like that's definitely a huge part of it. I think... Whereas Wonder Woman is, like... She has that whole thing about, like, you know, never, like, extend a sword unless you first extended a hand. I don't remember how that, like, thing goes. Yeah. But I know it's one of her, like, sayings or her... Or Themyscira's adages or whatever. But also she... If she determines that, like, humanity will literally be better off if this one creature or villain or person dies, then... She'll do the job. Yeah, yeah. And she still pretty rarely kills people, but she doesn't hesitate. Well, maybe she's, I don't know. Sometimes I think she does, but mm-hmm. like she's... But it is what has to be done. And yeah, she can see yeah. that. She doesn't shy away from it if it's yeah. the best approach as far as she can tell. But, you know, again, because of her compassionate general characterization, that still rarely happens. Okay, and so... There's one other thing I wanted to talk about um, before you went back to Wonder Woman's um, killing rules, I guess. Um, You know, reading about all the gods' squabbles in Greg Rucka's run, it really made me wonder, where the hell are all the gods in the Wonder Woman movie? Like, that's a pretty drastic decision to make them not at all part of, or only one of them is part of her story at all, and she literally kills the guy. So by the end of the movie, there are... No gods left in that universe. They are all dead as hell. That's a pretty giant creative decision to make. What? It just baffles me. Like, why would they do that? Why would Athena not be a part of it? She's a huge part of um, Wonder Woman's original, like, Marston origin story. Or, like, Aphrodite or Hermes. They all have had some role in her powers. Yeah? Yeah, I think it's really more of just a matter of building the universe. Because... Like it's, I think it's a little bit different in the comics versus in a movie universe because there's 
a lot more, I feel like, expectation of things being interconnected and internally consistent. And I think if you have these Greek gods that are still hanging around, then when you get back over back to like the Justice League movie or the Batman movie, it's kind of where are they? What's yeah, that's go, true. what like you know like is this universe where like dark side or whoever it is is coming to blow up the planet or whatever the hell dark side do like what is Zeus going to step in and stop him is that something Zeus would do is there going to be some transparent excuse to keep greek gods from going to war against like the new gods from the fourth world or whatever which side note very excited for the new gods movie that now that Ava DuVernay is directing I am you're, cautiously you're, optimistic that's a that is a really good point. And I, th- okay, to be fair, I think that they could pretty easily make a case for the gods just not really giving a damn. Cause that's kind of what happens in the Rucka run. They'll, they're just so consumed in their own petty crap that they kind of forget that about like real world consequences and stuff. So I think you could e- have easily made the case for them being so completely self absorbed that you, you could, but I think they have enough uh, caring about earth and humanity even if just for selfish reasons that at least when you got to the point you're getting at in the justice league movies where there's like godlike aliens coming to take over i still over haven't earth. seen justice league so this is a trip for me here i have it. i have not but i'm aware that dark side is in some capacity involved oh really and I don't know. I don't think he's in the first Justice League movie, but he shows up eventually. Slash will show up eventually, I'm sure. And once you get to that point where like Darkseid is the, this functionally god, I think he's even te- technically one of the new gods. But you know, when he shows up and he's like, "I'm going to destroy the earth, bow before me, humanity, or whatever," I don't know Darkseid's motivations exactly. But if at you're that a giant point, god like that, do you really need a motivation? Yeah, but at either way, at that point, it's kind of a matter of, are the Olympians gonna do something about this? I feel like they care about that. That's that's true. And I think it's a little easier to deal with, like, the philosophical questions when you're watching the entire movie. Yeah, you know, I wonder if it actually... You know, like, is Batman and everyone else just a race of... It's all of humanity created by gods instead of whatever other scientific thing might have happened in the origins of this universe yeah and you know i wonder i I had a thought that maybe it was due to some sort of like larger strain of existentialism within the dc cinematic universe granted okay to be fair i have not again i like i mentioned about seeing justice league i haven't seen man of steel in like five years yeah i have and the only one of them i've seen is wonder woman yeah or batman v superman I, i have no desire to see that either so admittedly, I don't know, I guess, the larger philosophical underpinning of those movies, if they're even organized enough to have something like that. But, the, you know, the whole premise of existentialism, which I can't believe I'm bringing that up right now. Sheesh. I can. It's like, <laughs> true. It's like, there's no fundamental purpose to life. There's no, un- there's no deeper reason why we humans are here. So therefore life is what we make of it. We're, I guess, like fully in control of our own destinies. I believe I'm phrasing that right. So, and I wonder if the choice to have Diana kill, actually kill the last of the, I guess the old gods, if you want to call them that, at the end was more of a statement of, like, you know how she's about to like, you know, murder his ass with lightning and she's walking towards, towards him and literally just says, I believe in love rather than, you know, I believe in, 
you know, any sort of deity. Like, it's more of an abstract concept. So that's almost like her rejecting that belief system outright and making it so that the people in the DC cinematic universe can truly live in an existentialist fashion. I mean, Wonder Woman herself, like, even though she exists in a world where the gods clearly exist. I know I'm going back to the comics here where the gods are still around. Yeah. And even she still cinematic. she still like doesn't worship them. She doesn't like bow down to any of them. She's yeah, the I mean, champion like kind of, of there. Yeah, she's like the champion of Athena and in some mm-hmm. cases has like some degree of respect for them just as she would for anyone else. But she doesn't she doesn't worship any of them, obviously, at all. Yeah. And there's a point in the De Liz run where Zeus offers her offers to make her his champion and help her have her and this monster thing destroy the planet and create a new world. Which incidentally is what Ares proposed in the movie. Like yeah. it was all about like, yeah. you know, returning this world to the paradise it was before humans or whatever. Yeah, and Wonder Woman's just like... In both cases, she's like, hell no. Yeah, she's like, screw you, Zeus. I'm not going to, like, follow your orders and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so... So, like, you know, she's at the very least, like, she has never been a character who worshipped or followed any gods, even when she, like, respected them and in some cases represented their interests. Yeah, and in a sense, like, the resolution of the movie is almost... This is related to the existentialism thing, but it's very much, like, a curious sort of embrace of the concept of free will. Because Ares mm. does... Okay, Ares says at one point that he gave, you know, the mortals like Dr. Poison plenty of ideas, but he never makes them use these ideas. They, like, kill others all on their own. Yep. But in a sense, by killing the last of the gods and rejecting any attempt at, you know, manufacturing some sort of destiny for the humans, almost. Like, just completely getting rid of any last vestiges of that, not even, like, belief system, like, hierarchy of humanity, almost. I'm reading it as very much a statement for, like, in favor of humanity's free will. Yeah, Which is really interesting. Because, you know, there's that... um, Epicurean paradox um, that attempts to wrestle with, you know, the you know Christian gods' supposed omnipotence. And it's like I don't remember how it goes, but it's like if he's all powerful and all Can knowing, he then create why a rock that he can't lift. No, that's not it. But it's like if he's like all powerful and all knowing, then why does he not stop evil? If he's, I don't know. I'm not putting this very well, but that's like sort of the central paradox. But and like from what I've learned in my you know various conversations with the. Uh, the massively Christian friend group I had in undergrad, which is a funny story. Um, free And the class on the Bible is literature that I took in undergrad as well. Free will is sort of the answer to that. Like hmm. humans do ultimately have free will and that's, that's the sort of solution to the problem of evil. But it also, and I think Diana highlights this, it's also like the root of, you know, the good things in humanity. Cause like she's having this crisis of faith even as she's seeing, like, you know, Chief and Charlie and um, Sammy and all of them, um, like, knowing they're going to die and, like, facing it together and, like, still doing their best to try to stop the German soldiers who are going to, you know, blow everything up. She's seeing, as she's having this crisis of faith, that these, I guess, people are still using their free will for mm, yeah, good yeah. things. And I, th- I don't think, I don't think that should be 
underemphasized, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So it's Wonder I, Woman, I'm champion of existentialism. <laughs> I was going to say champion of free will. Well, yeah, that too. But yeah, no, it's. I can't say I expected to end up reading, you know, Wonder Woman 2017, directed by Patty Jenkins, as like, you know, a super existentialist movie, but that's the only real interpret. That's one of the only interpretations of that ending bit and the absence of the gods that really makes any sense to me, given how much of a role they play traditionally in her origin story and in other comics. Like, that's. Yeah, I would maintain that it's primarily a matter of world building and stuff. I mean, I don't yes, think I would agree, but I think it still but has I do, like, I think it's still like interesting implications yeah. beyond simply the world building. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Um, any closing thoughts on Wonder Woman and stuff? <laughs> well, honestly, the um, thing I most wanted to touch on, we never actually touched on, so we may have to do a separate episode. I have this whole essay in me on um, the ways in which specifically the movie treats, you know, World War One era masculinity. I really want to talk about that, but... This episode will be so long if I do, so we're just going to have to do a separate episode on that. What a tragedy. Works for me. All right. So, yeah, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. Um, What do you think? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. All right, so, folks, that's our first episode, I guess. On, on presumably Wonder Woman. Multiple. Yes, multiple, definitely. Um, so, yeah, no, I guess I one closing thought. I'm definitely really excited for um, Kristen Wiig as Cheetah in the next movie. I That'll think that cool. could be really interesting. So, yeah, I guess uh, till next time. That's it for this episode of Yelling About Superheroes. For more yelling, you can follow us on Twitter at yellinabtsupers or check out our website at anger.fm slash yelling-about-superheroes. You can also visit my blog at whitneythompson.wordpress.com where we post our reading lists for each episode. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll love it if you leave us a review as well. Our theme music was composed by Rodrigo Vicente, and you can listen to more of his work at hooksounds.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.